so um, I'll say this this way. So this is the sermon I spent three weeks preparing. This is the one I wrote this morning. And um, we'll probably not do either of them. <laughs> Except that that means that, that, you're, that you're mine, Larry, until I'm done with you. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, no, what it means is it's a sign actually with me um, when you get, start getting to scriptures that, that, that they've got some difficult stuff in them. They've got a lot of concepts going on. They've got a lot of things going on that, that how do we handle them with care? When I first set up the sermon series, the first 14 verses were a sermon to themselves and everything else was another one. One time I did it together. One time I designed it with three each of these being three sermons. And so what I'm, what I'm dealing with here is a little bit of text, but there's an idea here that I want you to get, that the Bible doesn't justify any of your actions. Because it's not meant to do that. It's meant to bring you into one-on-one contact with your maker. Now, you might learn how to do stuff that... Here's the quote. Here's Not everything good is mentioned in the Bible. There are things you can do that are not mentioned in the Bible, and they're good to do. Would you agree with that? I mean, they're not mentioned. I, I used this example um, in the first service. Greg was a little late to the potluck at the parsonage, which, by the way, there still are two of those, and you can sign up out there. But he was late because a neighbor rolled the car, and they went out and helped, and everybody was all right. But it doesn't say anywhere in the Bible, when your neighbor rolls their vehicle, go help. It just doesn't say that. Now, it might say some things that will lead you to go help because, right, there, there is the parable of, or the story of the Good Samaritan. How do you treat everybody like a neighbor? Here's the other side. Not everything mentioned in the Bible is good for you to do. Did I just say that? Let's think about this for a second. Joseph's brothers throw him in a pit and sell him into slavery. Is that an example we should be following? No, everybody, everybody's an example for us. They're just not always good examples, right? You've met people around you that are really, example, they're really good examples of what not to do, Right? Here's another, here's another one in the Bible that not everything mentioned is good. Samson, in the beginning of his story, takes two foxes and ties their tails together and sets them on fire near his neighbor's crops. Do we get to do that? Okay, so what, I, what, I, what I'm kind of hedging towards here is, is understanding that wisdom as we go to the Word of God requires us to understand that it's not a checklist. It's not ever a checklist that says, these are the things and you're all good. These are the things, don't do them and you're all, or you're bad. But it's always meant to bring you into the conversation God is having with you on who you can be and who you should be. So it always brings you into the moment of your visitation. Our scripture today has one of those moments of visitation in it. And so let's read that. This is in Luke 16, 1 through 13. 
And of course, I'm at the end of the chapter, so. Jesus told this story to his disciples. There was a certain rich man who was a manager handling his affairs. One day, a report came that the manager was wasting his Lord's money. My translation says boss's money. Lord, curious, Lord. Those of you who are at Good Friday or uh, Ash Wednesday this week, we sang a song, Kyrie Ellison. Kyrie is the Greek word for Lord. It's a clue that this isn't just about an employer thing. His Lord's money. So the employer called him in and said, what is this I hear about you? Get your, your affairs in order because you're going to be fired. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches and I'm too proud to beg. Ah, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who give me a home when I am fired. So he invited each person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asked the first one, how much do you owe? And the man replied, 800 gallons of olive oil. Is that how you buy things and you borrow? You just, do you have, you have somebody in town you owe 800 gallons of olive oil to? So, so, you know, economically, this is not necessarily the same economy, but you owe people money or they owe you money, or you've been in that situation. Maybe you don't know. Maybe you are Dave Ramsey's poster child, and you don't owe anybody money, and nobody owes you money. Maybe not. Eight hundred gallons of uh, a fortune. Take the bill and quickly change it to four hundred gallons. How much do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. And it is true that the children of the world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you into an eternal home. If you are faithful in little things, earthly possessions, that's what that means, you will be faithful in the larger ones, spiritual truths. If you are dishonest in the little things, earthly possessions, then you won't be honest with the greater responsibilities, spiritual truths. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? No one can serve two masters, for you will hate one and love the other. No one will be devoted to you and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So the purpose of having things in your life is not to finish your life with a house so full you can't get in it. That's not the reason why we have cars and homes and tables and chairs, is just to collect them and have them around us. They are there so that we can use them to form relationships with people. And, and if we won't do that, it's highly unlikely that we're going to be forming a relationship with God. 
Now, I'm off my sermon already. I was way long in the first service, and so I'm trying to go like this, right? There's pay no attention to the person in the back of the room going, shorten that down. I want to make sure that we know some things about life, that this is not just about how to lose your job and make friends afterwards. Jesus' point here is that, that how we deal in these, in these little everyday matters matter because it's how we will interact with our, our eternal destiny. Just in case you were wondering if I was done reading, I'm not. The Pharisees who dearly loved their money heard all this and scoffed at him. Now, before I go on, we have a manager who's had the visitation with his Lord, if you will. He's been not good, and and his boss comes down, the Lord comes down and says, "Um, you're fired. Change your ways. In other words, your ways are not the ways that I wanted you to be. We're not going to have this anymore. And he changed. The moment of his visitation came. By the way, what is the purpose of the Bible? To bring you into one-on-one contact with your Lord. Will you change? Will you not? So he comes, and here are the Pharisees, the teachers who are in a one-on-one spot with their Lord, and they scoff. Now, is that different from changing your ways? That's protecting. How many of you have ever got caught doing something you were told not to do? I can raise both hands. What are the, what are the, what are the possible actions you could have had on that? I can think of a couple of them. One, you can argue some point. Like, I didn't know I wasn't supposed to do it. Nobody told me. It wasn't in my human resources folder. Um, you can't fire me for that. I was never trained. Blah, blah, blah. Write an argument. You can stonewall. You can say, I'm just not responding. Throw away the, right? Throw away the key. You could... What's this say? You could admit it, but not really be sorry. Yes, you caught me. But I'm going to keep doing it. Or you could change. You could own it and be changed. Right? Those are the options. What is, where's scoffing fit? Over here in the argument spot, right? You don't have any right to do anything to me, ever. Then he said to them, You like to appear righteous in public. God knows your heart. And this world, what this world honors is detestable in the sight of God. Until John the Baptist, by the way, that's the second mention of John the Baptist in this service. Thank you, Bev. Did you know that lots of people break the Old and the New Testament between Malachi and Matthew? But Jesus breaks it at John the Baptist. Here it is. Until John the Baptist, the law 
of Moses and the messages of the prophets were your guides. Does that sound like it's broken between Matthew and Malachi? You know, Malachi, the last Italian prophet? No. So he breaks it there, and now the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. And everyone is eager to get in. Does that match your experience? Is everyone eager to get into the kingdom of God? It just, why, is that, why is it that people aren't eager to get into the kingdom of God in our day? Is it perhaps the, that the representatives aren't doing a very good job of selling the matter? Or maybe we haven't, we haven't presented the kingdom of God in the way that it should be. Because here, here we're back into these appropriate responses to the kingdom of God. How many people do you know that have come to God just as fire insurance? I don't want to go to hell. Don't really want to be with the Christians. But I don't want to go to hell. Have you met those people? I have. I'll tell my golf story. I told it in the first one. First, first thing. I had just moved to St. John. I was a brand new pastor and I was playing in a sixsome. Those of you who know golf know that sixsomes are not allowed on most courses. But in St. John, it was all good because there were six people on the course. We were on the third hole and none of them knew I was a pastor yet. And so a friend came up in his cart and he goes, hey, Pastor Dave across the green, right? We're standing there. knowing the group of people that I'm in. And he says, got enough sermon material yet? And I, and I got to tell you, I am endlessly thankful for how God will often put words in my mouth, my mouth, and I will not say the first response, but rather say what he wants me to say. And this is my response, okay? So I'm not taking credit for the wisdom of this response. It was, I've got enough ick inside me. I don't have to look at other people. Well, so you should know that in that group, the head trustee of the St. John Church came out of, but was not a Christian at that time. That's quite a change, right? Head trustee to that. Also in that group was a man who I had never met, who, who became an, you know, a pretty good acquaintance. But we were playing at 11, and he was halfway through his flask, and he'd been about cussing about 50% of his words. Now... When he found out I was a pastor, he upped the ante to make sure that I knew that his bad words were his to say. And I would say seven out of every eight from the re- for the rest of the round. Now, you've met these people, right? I get to. Yeah, you can. Whatever comes out of your mouth is up to you. The truth is, is we get to have whatever we want come out of our mouths and be represented by it, right? And so we knew him. Now, Bob, I can say that there's a lot of Bobs in the world, and so you know I'm not just picking on one here, but Bob, Bob, later that year we were playing, and he he and I had played lots together, and, you know, he pretty much continued his language thing for a while, but Bob was a lonely guy, and it was nearing Thanksgiving time, and I knew that his family was not coming in. He was going to be alone for Thanksgiving. And our church had a meal. And so I invited him. I said, hey, Bob, I know you're all alone this year. Just come on into Thanksgiving. And, and I know it's a fundraiser at our church, but I'll just take care of it. 
the next time I'm in a church, I'll be in a box. So thankful for the way God puts words into my mouth. Are you ready? Hey, Bob, why would you want your box in a church if you don't want to be there beforehand? <laughs> That's why I like you. That's what, that was his response. That's why I like you. But that's the question. The gates of heaven are not barred from the inside. They're barred from the outside of people that don't want to come in. The biblical witness is that God isn't willing that any should perish, that he's wooing and asking and cajoling and whatever it is. Please come in. Don't go there. You won't like it. But we don't come in, says John 3, 19 because we're afraid that what we do will be exposed. Instead, those that come into the light and expose their stuff show that they're doing what God wants them to do. So you've got stuff. Here, here I, I'm transitioning really quick into a thought about that. I don't come into the light. I do come into the light. How many of you um, know people or or maybe you yourself have some issue in your life and you're a little afraid it's going to be found out. And maybe if people find out or maybe if God finds out, like God doesn't know you're already doing it. <laughs> maybe, maybe you're a little afraid that people won't like you if it's found out. Here's, here's my suggestion to you. Settle out of court. Come to Jesus, talk about it, get it out, get it forgiven. Come into the light to show that you're doing what God wants you to do and get it over with. You don't have to wait till the end of days, the moment of your visitation. But here it is. This is what we're talking about. How is it that the Bible ends up always being a justification for people's actions when that's not really what it's about? Moses doesn't tell you you can do certain things. Just to, just to show this, we'll read a little bit more. Okay? And, I, and I'm watching the clock, sort of. I'm, I'm going to skip down just a little bit. I want to make sure that when you read this text, Jesus, there's a little spot in here about divorce and that. That's about hard hearts. Moses allowed for divorce because... And I said this in the first service, didn't I? It's not everybody is marriageable material. That some people are married to people that shouldn't be married to other people. Whatever it is. The answer isn't necessarily divorce. Sometimes it's get a new heart from Ezekiel 36, right? I will wash them with water and remove their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh a new spirit in them and cause them to follow my decrees. But that doesn't mean that he's judging, that I, I just don't want you to hear me judging um, possessions or, or whether or not you've been through a divorce or any of that. But the answer isn't always to be hard-hearted and just continue. Sometimes it's... Um, as the chapter in the marriage book that I go through, take people through says, sometimes if you have a bad foundation, the right thing to do is repent of the bad foundation and put a good foundation under it. 
For example, a man who divorces his wife and marries someone else commits adultery, and anyone who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. Why does he put this here in the midst of this discussion about heavenly things? Because adultery in spiritual matters is idolatry. And who's your God is the question here. All through the Old Testament, there's all these examples of adultery being used as an example of how we have cheated on the Lord of heaven and earth by making our own self God, by by just paying attention to our possessions. And here's the example. There was a certain rich man who was splendidly clothed in purple and fine linen who lived each day in luxury. At his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus who was covered in sores. As Lazarus lay there longing for scraps from this rich man's table, longing for scraps, you're supposed to hear the echo of the younger son in the prodigal story longing after the pods that he fed the pigs, right? This is right after that story. It's just another spot, longing. The dogs would come and lick his open sores, probably not the way they're supposed to be treated medically. Finally, the poor man died and was carried to the, by the angels to be with Abraham. The rich man died and was buried, and his soul went to the place of the dead, or Sheol, There in torment, he saw Abraham in the far distance with Lazarus at his side. The rich man shouted, Father Abraham, have some pity. Send Lazarus over here to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish with these flames. I just just want to say, I mean, he had a lot of stuff, probably treated people as possessions. He's still doing it. He's in Sheol. He's still going, You know the poor guy that I didn't help out? Make him come help me now. Can you hear the attitude? Do that for me. Still hasn't learned his lesson. But Abraham said to him, Son, remember that during your lifetime you had everything you wanted and Lazarus had nothing. Now he is here being comforted and you were in anguish. And besides, there is a great chasm separating us. No one can cross over to you from here, and no one can cross over to us from there. And then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him to my father's house, still commanding Lazarus as though he's a servant. Make him go do it. For I have five brothers, and I want to warn them so they don't end up in this place of torment. That's a good thing to do, warn people about the place of torment. The problem is, is that fire insurance doesn't work. Here it is. But Abraham said, Moses and the prophets have warned them. Your brothers can read what they wrote. The rich man replied, no, Father Abraham, but if someone is sent from the dead, then they will repent of their sins and turn to God. Now, remember, this is Jesus talking. What is what is Jesus going to do very soon is he's going to be killed and he's going to raise, rise from the dead. If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't be persuaded even if someone rises from the dead. So what are the reasons to go to heaven? Or, or what are the reasons that work since fire insurance doesn't really work, right? I said a prayer once, but I didn't really change my life. Perhaps perhaps you've, you've seen him as a good teacher and you thought, 
boy, everything he does is really good ethically. I'm just going to be ethically like that. I'm just going to do that. I'm going to do everything Jesus prescribes. I'm going to use the Bible to justify myself. It's like, there's a, it's like the whole world has bought the lie that there's a test at the gate of heaven for entry. I did this as an example with a youth group I led once. It's this, that we barred the door. We should do this one Sunday. We barred the door and asked everybody three nearly impossible questions about getting in. And if they got them wrong, we escorted them in to the place in the room marked hell. Until somebody got, somebody interrupted the equation and said, wait, there's no test. Which one of the kids did? Wait, this is not how people get into heaven. And he said, you're right. Why did all the rest of them put up with the exercise? And we had him go in and pull the tape off the floor that said heaven and hell. So he essentially rescued everybody from the spot. There's no Peter at the gates of heaven going, did you do this? Did you do that? What about this? The test is this. Jesus knows who, knows who are his and he knows who aren't. If you're his, come on in. Welcome. But how does that decide it? Well, you know... I made this decision once because I was really didn't want to go to hell, but I didn't really like the Christians and didn't want to be in church until I was in my box. Well, are you sure you want to be, spend eternity with these people? You didn't want to spend any time with them on earth. You sure you want to spend any time with Jesus in heaven? You didn't spend any time with him on earth. Even if somebody rises and comes back from the dead, they won't believe. What will they believe? In the moment of their visitation, that's the purpose of the Bible, to bring you into one-on-one contact with your Lord so that you know that there is a personal chance for you to know him and for him to justify you. Now, I know I said a couple of radical things in here today, like there's no test to get into heaven that Jesus knows you, and this is not about your possessions, and I know that there's some people in here with a lot of possessions. It's okay. You can have stuff. Are you willing to use them to make relationships? Are you willing to use your possessions to get yourself a Bible and then to read it and to form the relationship with God? And then not to read his word as though it's a blank check to do things? Well, But Samson killed a a lion with a jawbone and then came back and ate the honey out of it. I get to do that. I mean, some of the stuff, I've heard it all, right? Ken and I were having a discussion about other people that, right, this is the way it is. The Bible is not a checklist, good or bad. What it is, is a chance to enter into relationship with your God. So read it, put it in you. And then maybe sometimes along the lines, you'll get questions like, like I got like, uh, are you, do you have enough sermon material for these people yet? And you'll say something along the lines of, I'm not judging them. I'm not the judge. I got enough ick in me. Right? That was my response. And I didn't even know I had that response in me. 
I, I just, I got enough ick inside me. Oh, but doesn't it bother you? Yeah, no, not really. And then people out of that group in those relationships, using your time and, the, and just every little aspect of your life to form relationships, to make homes with people at the time. How much do you owe? More than you can pay. Cut the bill in half. I once, I once heard it expressed when somebody had a dead battery at a grocery store. We heard that in a prayer request today. And somebody went in and just bought a new battery for them because they didn't have jumper cables. Can you do that? Just did. Right? And it doesn't say that in the Bible. You have to act that way, does it? But you can. So please, let's, let's enter into that moment of our visitation. And pray. Lord, as we have this conversation with you, as we learn to love you by interacting with you and you pour your grace into our lives, that starts to give us, give us some wisdom that is outside of ourselves. We thank you so much for that. Help us enter into this relationship and not look at you like you're a checkbox to be marked off. Help us not seek fire insurance only, but your presence daily. In your precious name, amen.